Hello and welcome to our latest DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series. Uh, my name is Paul Latto. I'm a partner who sits in our F&P, Finance and Projects Practice, uh, uh, based in, in Saudi Arabia and the UAE, and uh, where I, I, I look after all manner of banking and finance and financial regulatory issues, including on the fintech side of things. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by a great panel today, but I think it will be best um, to let everyone introduce themselves. Um, so, first of all, starting with Phil. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, uh, just briefly, I'm a director and co-founder, most recently, of People, spelled P-Y-Y-P-L, um, which uh, uses smartphone technology to provide uh, multiple digital services from a single mobile smartphone uh, app. Um, the focus uh, is principally on uh, uh, on digital payments, but uh, there are a range of other digital products that uh, that we offer as well. So uh, prior to people, uh, I'm probably best known in the region for having been one of the uh, startup team in Virgin Mobile, Middle East and Africa. My background professionally is one of uh, having been a lawyer for 30 years, specialising in uh, technology, law, antitrust, and of course, uh, my core area of regulation. Thanks, Phil. We're also joined by Khalid Saad. Um, Khalid? I'm Khalid Saad. I'm a board member of Coinmina, one of only two regulated crypto exchanges in the MENA region. I'm also a board member of Agal, Bahrain chapter, which is the largest angel network in the region. I'm also a member of the Finance, Insurance and Tax Committee of the Bahrain Chamber. Previously, I was the founding CEO of Bahrain Fintech Bay, the largest fintech building ecosystem platform in the region. Uh, I've worked Prior to that, an investment promotion focused on financial services, consultancy, and investment management. I'm very passionate about technology and supporting startups. Thanks, Khalid. Last but but certainly not least, uh, Tony. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Tony Joseph. Uh, I'm heading the information security practice for Ethereum in Ministry of Finance in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, I work quite a bit on data security and data governance standards and framework execution. I'm very passionate about payments and privacy, as well as uh, digital transformation as a driver to cashless economy. Been quite intense in my uh, in my work with with related to uh, principles of greenfield architecture uh, and building national critical infrastructure. These are uh, these are my passions. Thank you. Let's get straight into it. Uh, um, I mean, maybe if we start with payments as a, as, as a particular subset uh, uh, within digital transformation for, for payments in the Middle East market, what's growth going to look like going forward? The potential is, is, is enormous, uh, but unfortunately, there are not a lot of specific stats that relate uh, to the Middle East. The potential is enormous for two reasons, just the general demographics themselves. Um, and uh, what governments themselves are, are now doing in the region. If we take, and we can probably take the World Bank latest statistics generally, the reality is, you know, there are still 1.7 billion uh, people worldwide without bank accounts. And 50% of those are in the developing world and some, you know, 800 million in the Middle East and Africa. I mean, alone in Saudi, there are uh, roughly 10 million uh, un unbanked. Um, and 
in the UAE, the figure is said to be around about 3 million. So we've got you know, almost a, a, a billion people in the developing world. Of course, there's a large percentage in Pakistan and India. Um, but, and, and there are 60% of women are unbanked in, um, in these developing uh, worlds. Of these people, 60%, 66% of the unbanked people actually have smartphones. So, you know, in the background of those demographics, it's not surprising that, um, that the, this potential has been seized upon by, by governments in the region. So we see, we're seeing heavy promotion of the fintech economy, if you like, uh, digitalization uh, uh, in, uh, in the region. And the UAE, for example, you know, it's, it boasts the largest fintech hub um, with, uh, in the Middle East, with 60% of the regional fintech funds uh, have been raised uh, in, 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 in the UAE. And there were 80 new companies that actually joined the fintech community last year in, uh, in the UAE. So I think what we're seeing, just the, the background of demographics that's being seized upon the governments um, and the opportunity in this region, um, it's just axiomatically uh, an enormous opportunity. Just on, on, on the opportunity point, is, is that because of the general opportunity across the developing world? Or, or, so is it the opportunity to be a base or is it the opportunity actually for this, this, is, a, this is a market as well? It's probably both. Um, I'd perhaps be interested to hear from Khaled on, on the Bitcoin side of things and uh, if you like uh, digital money uh, side of things. But, so you know, my perspective has been more from the payment side. What we see in the existing if you like legacy system is the unrealistic cost of bringing on uneconomic customers. So if you look at a bank, the figures that we hear are typically, it costs about US $8.9 per month to maintain uh, anybody's account, your account or my account, um, or some new unbanked person's account. Uh, and it costs about a thousand US dollars just to onboard that person uh, with all of the uh, AML and KYC uh, and legacy uh, compliance issues that need to be complied with nowadays to actually onboard um, a new customer. So, you know, banks are, are, uh, are, are still see this as a prohibitive cost for small spend customers. By contrast, if you have a blockchain serverless cloud environment, then that eight point, that eight, $8.90 per month to maintain the account is reduced to nine cents. So FinTech can actually, um, you know, service these customers at nine cents a month uh, in, in a serverless cloud environment, as opposed to a legacy uh, server-based uh, environment that most, uh, most large financial institutions act in. So there's some push and pull factors in the whole thing. So Khalid, over to you. I mean, how do you see the picture more generally in terms of fintech or pay payments as well, but generally the, 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 the whole picture? I think the picture is definitely significantly more, more positive and promising. Over the last uh, few years, uh, we've seen a fundamental shift in the way both governments and, and the private sector views, use fintech. And I think there are uh, a few reasons, obviously, for that. One was if we go a bit further, just a bit more than a decade, was the ramifications of the 
global financial crisis. So that was one thing. The second was the oil price slide, which made people look at technology significantly more seriously. And I, the third is obviously uh, the, the pandemic that has hit us uh, globally, unfortunately. Now, from that, obviously, regulators took two approaches in terms of how they wanted to, to govern the whole fintech uh, ecosystem and develop it. And we've seen kind of, in a way, two models that are prevailing within the region uh, that have you know, helped drive this ecosystem forward. One is the approach of, you know, let's put in place an extensive regulatory framework that, that will help us develop this ecosystem. And that obviously also includes payments. I think historically payments was the one developed sector that, that was there. Um, and then obviously the other more extensive regulatory frameworks came on board. So that was one, one approach where, you know, put in place a regulatory framework, extensive one to look at regulating and managing different FinTech verticals. With time, this becomes a bit more accommodating as regulators start understanding which verticals that they need to regulate and not regulate. Uh, and so that kind of also helps in, in terms of natural growth. The other approach that is taken is let this be led by entrepreneurs, by the startups, by the technology companies. And, and as long as you're abiding by KYC, AML, and general uh, central bank rules, we'll let this ecosystem develop. Now, uh, the majority of FinTech activity still resides within the payments vertical. I think this is also a global phenomenon, uh, but we've seen that the developments over the past few years uh, have resulted in, in a few changes and a few, few other areas that are definitely of interest. Uh, and so one of them is the rise of digital banking platforms and neobanks. This is definitely an area that is growing. And this is also in part powered by, by payments. Uh, the rise of digital investment platforms. People are now more comfortable opening up digital accounts and investing. Uh, the introduction of open banking and open data. This is, for me, uh, is a big shift. Uh, and we've seen... Bahrain and Saudi Arabia take uh, steps in this direction. Uh, Paul talked about payments and financial inclusion. For me, this is an absolutely massive theme in terms of banking the unbanked or the underbanked. Uh, and there is huge room for growth there. And obviously, the, the, the other trend, which I think is significant, and we're just at the beginning of it, is uh, crypto assets or, or cryptocurrencies. And I think with time as the ecosystem here matures, regulators and governments start realizing the potential of that, we're going to see a big shift also when it comes to the payments infrastructure uh, underpinned by crypto assets and blockchain. So the, the, the tide has shifted, uh, there's no going back. And I think we're just at the beginning of realizing uh, the big potential of FinTech and the transformation that it could actually bring to us in the region. Yeah, thanks, Khalid. Makes sense. I, I mean, Tony's a lot, lot to think about there. I mean, what, what, what are your reactions from a kind of regulatory governmental perspective? I just want to build on what, what they have said. Uh, and I feel where the industry or uh, is probably heading to is creating unified payments interface 
which can actually support instant payments. And I think, I think that is going to be a big thing, especially in the, the Middle East market uh, in general. And uh, that, is, that is building an infrastructure to support instant payments using unified payments interface. Now, uh, some of the other panelists, they spoke about uh, the banking the unbanked. Now, the beauty about creating this unified payments interface is it should be built on open networks, on open standards, and, uh, and so that any payment method can actually use this interface for transactions. Now, some of the panelists, they spoke about banking the unbanked. So that means that the ones who are unbanked, they can actually use this for transactions. For example, in the UAE, there's around 1.7 million people which is unbanked. Now, rather than focus on the banks reaching there, we must use the digital penetration which is already existing today because UAE probably has the highest smartphone penetration in the world. Now, using that as, as, the, as the last mile and using the open framework, payments framework interface, this means that in a stroke, the unbanked is becoming potentially fully banked. Now, this is, this is one aspect that I, I see a lead to. The other aspect is uh, creating uh, multiple blockchain networks. Now that's because, uh, that's because every organization, every government, every sector, you know, I mean, it cannot be completely and unilaterally open for everything but because there needs to be certain amounts of control. And what that would mean is that creating multiple blockchain networks that is hybrid blockchain, closed blockchain, permission blockchain networks for different purposes, like uh, courses for courses policy. In terms of the specific trends, uh, I mean, we, we've talked about the growth of payments, the growth of specific verticals, op uh, open source banking, unified payments, uh, uh, standards. What specific areas do we see the the, the, the where the growth coming and the disruption coming, uh, and and whether it's actually correct to do uh, actually characterize it as is it still useful to characterize it as disruption? Uh, um, I mean, Phil, over to you on that one. I'm a bit averse to the term disruption because it has a negative connotation to it. I I, I rather like the idea of seeing fintechs as uh, expanders of the market helping to grow the overall pie. This is not a question of dividing up an existing market or pie um, and the, the, the fintech stealing something from the existing uh, financial institutions. It's rather like when virtual operators came to the mobile market. Um, what we saw was a huge growth in services um, and uh, a huge growth in innovation uh, and types of services available. I see it no different in, in, in fintech. So I, I prefer to talk about expanders. And, and the other thing is that the types of digital transformation or products that, that we will see in the future. We're only starting to scratch the surface in terms of the types of fintechs that we will see and the available products that we see. We will see uh, things such as pay by installments, uh, micro investments, uh, micro savings, peer-to-peer -peer lending, um, sending mobile airtime, uh, no, we're already directly involved in that. International remittances, micro insurances. I mean, we're really only just getting going. So there's huge potential uh, in the specific products themselves. Not, not to mention, this is not our, although we're crypto, although people is crypto ready, we're not, we don't have a crypto product. 
but of course then there's that whole area of crypto um, as well. Just in terms of the range of products, the current situation we find ourselves in, the general demographics, you know, that's uh, they're all huge drivers. Thank you. And uh, and uh, Phil, you mentioned uh, crypto, so probably a good point uh, to bring to bring Halid in. Uh, I mean. Both, I, I guess, with your, your capacity as uh, um, as the board member of uh, CoinMina, but also with your, your hat on as an angel investor, um, how do you think? Um, uh, how do you see the, the, the crypto space developing, digital asset space developing? Uh, there are different models for doing things. Do you have any views on on, on pros and cons of different ones? Uh, and 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 what does the direction of travel seem to be? Yeah, I think if if you looked at uh crypto and the region a few years ago uh the, the the word crypto used to cause a lot of nervousness and i think it's it's natural because people don't really uh understand it or the fundamentals that are underlying it um regulators are obviously always taking a wait and see approach but we've seen a, a big shift over the last few years in terms of large institutions are now coming on board uh, regulators globally are, are taking this seriously because there's, you know, underpinning crypto is a big shift that is happening. And, and for us, if, if you think about it from two aspects, one is crypto and the new use cases and underlying applications. That's, that's one aspect of it. But I think two is Crypto could help address an area where traditional banks and financial institutions have, I think, not addressed the issue, uh, especially and when it comes to uh, supporting the underbanked or unbanked. And I think crypto has a way of democratizing finance and unlocking new rails uh, or what I call new piping for, for payments and remittances. Now, uh, one e easier way of probably looking at, at crypto is looking at crypto asset exchanges. And you know, this is, I think, the basic uh, infrastructure that you need to have in place for people to actually access these crypto assets. By the time they start investing in them, they will start understanding their underlying um, applications, but also they'll also diversify uh, their investments and be part of that future. And, and we've seen now regulators uh, talk about this. Uh, in Bahrain, we've got a full-fledged crypto assets framework. Uh, there are two firms that are now fully regulated and the only two firms fully regulated in the region. UAE has talked about it and I'm sure others will start to, uh, to take notice and, and look at this uh, in the future. Um, Phil talked about obviously crypto and its potential of doing that. I think it's it's immense. Uh, in my opinion, the way you want to look at it so that you don't uh, stifle the innovation that is underlying it, the whole KYC AML aspects of it is very very important. You do not want arbitrary things to be happening, or um, individuals to be using uh, crypto asset exchanges or crypto for illicit things. That aspect is extremely important. And I think that definitely needs to be regulated extremely well. But I think when it comes to uh, the crypto assets themselves, we don't want to box the innovation. It should be 
you know, develop naturally. And obviously this is where regulation comes in so that the proper due diligence is done on an ever-growing uh, crypto uh, asset space. Now, I wanna just probably wrap up on this point by saying the payments over the, let's say the last 10 years or even longer, a lot of it has been, you know, a lot of the changes have been happening on the user experience from a front end perspective. Which is, which is fantastic. Crypto now is solving the piping of the industry. We have legacy infrastructure uh, that is, was you know, built for a different time and era. And obviously there's always resistance to change when it comes to this legacy infrastructure. But I think moving on forward to really achieve FinTech's full potential and to fully liberate uh, both finance and the payment rails, this new piping needs to be put in place. So it's a wait and see approach in the region. There are some leaders that have taken uh, the step forward and put best in class global regulations and others are uh, on the sidelines taking their first steps or waiting and seeing what will happen. But the potential is absolutely immense. Okay, understood. Tony, it must be quite challenging um, you know, from, from, from the perspective of, you know, of governments generally, how they've got to uh, engage with this very rapidly changing environment, and obviously in, in the UAE, that there's the uh, there's the great strength of, of having the, the the two financial free zones of uh, of ADGM and DIFC, but it also creates the complexity of, of how exactly do they relate next to onshore UAE. Um, any observations from you, uh, um, just on uh, maybe you can address it from the perspective of of, of, of you know, the challenges that, that the uh, uh, you know, regulators have to face, policymakers have to face, you know, when uh, uh, looking at a, a, a digital transformation. One of the challenges, I, I would rather say, one of the questions that every regulator in the world, and not necessarily only in UAE, is facing today is, should you regulate and operate, or should you just regulate and, and, uh, and, and outsource operations? And, and for example, this is actually, this has been happening in, in the UK, uh, in, in India, and in Australia, uh, because many of the regulators, they have deregulated, uh, or rather they have, they have outsourced the operations and specifically just went into the regulation itself. Because historically, many of these regulators, they were also doing operations. And they realized that if they want to innovate, then they need to, outsource certain aspects of the operations. And this is a question that, that every regulator in FinTech must ask themselves to find a specific answer. And I would give principles into which they need to actually ask themselves. For example, every regulator must, must be seen in through the lens of innovation because they were all, always seeing innovation from outside. But now I think through the lens of innovation, the regulation should be seen. And they need to ask themselves, are they giving enough flexibility for growth? And is my regulations evolving or is my regulation stagnant, which can keep pace with the industry? And I think every regulator, they need to understand a starting point for any regulations in FinTech cannot be foolproof. And that is when they come to that realization, they will automatically create enough space for innovation. So in summary, I would say that, you know, 
regulators need to ask certain questions with respect to whether they need to operate systems or they need to focus purely on regulation and keep space for innovation? Khaled, I mean, obviously, in, in your capacity as an investor, what do you see as, as the, either with regard to funding or, or with regard to generally, what, what do you see as, 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 as the challenges, the barriers to, to, to scaling effectively that need to be overcome? I think funding is one part of it, but there is ample liquidity. But I think the if we look at Silicon Valley and uh, obviously the most developed and other, let's say, developed VC markets, investors there are used to investing in purely tech-based companies. And obviously within the, the MENA region, this is a relatively newer asset class if we look at, at it, relatively speaking from a time perspective. And so obviously there is a lot of education that needs to take place, that takes time. We're now starting to see that there is a growing investor base uh, that believes in technology that is willing to take on uh, the risk associated with investing in, in, in tech startups. And it's usually, you know, it's uh, also I think psychological where you're investing in something that you don't necessarily see. Part of the thing here in the region is real estate historically is a very popular asset class. Technology is kind of the opposite in terms of you can't really see it, but you can certainly scale it very quickly. And it has its own, obviously, different set of calculations and characteristics. So we're starting to see more and more people now definitely being interested in, in investing in VCs, whether that's angel investors, uh, independent VCs, corporate VCs, or even some larger institutions that want to diversify their investments and start tapping into this asset class. Uh, obviously in Silicon Valley, you know, you have Sand Hill Road where you go and there's endless uh, VCs in there. You go from one VC to the other. So it's, it's, it's part of that culture. Uh, but we're, we're at a relatively early stage here. But we've seen some successes. And obviously, once you get a few successes in the region, people start uh, getting excited and wanting to be part of it. The other, the other thing is, and I alluded to this earlier, is, is about scaling up. Every market, uh, and this is very important, uh, would require a certain element of localization. And by localization, that could mean either content potentially, or would need proper handholding to open the right doors, to set up the right infrastructure uh, on the ground, and obviously banking, financial uh, relationships and infrastructure is absolutely critical. Uh, and then obviously you've got the whole customer acquisition cost. And it really depends on, I think, whether you need to be regulated in every jurisdiction or you could be regulated in one jurisdiction and do a cross-border or you just do not need to be regulated and you're a tech platform that could either work with regulated entities or conduct non-regulated activities. I think there's a whole mix of different factors that play in. Having the right structure definitely is important. And if you're in a regulated space, definitely having the right funding structure to sustain you uh, in those early years as you get the groundwork ready is, is absolutely critical. I, I think the point of you know, trying to parachute the Silicon Valley model into 
Bamina region or the GCC or other regions, that does not necessarily work. Certain things will work, but there's a significant element of localization that needs to get involved. It's a different region, also different culture, um, and we're at a somewhat different development stage when it comes to the VC or investing asset class, or this riskier asset class. I am going to finish up with one question. For you, what is going to be the most exciting development in Middle East fintech, in the Middle East fintech market uh, over the next 24 months and why? Khalid. Definitely the paradigm shift that has taken place more than any one particular development in any fintech vertical. Uh, given the pandemic, especially the ramifications of the pandemic, digital is now the primary focus. It's all about customer experience, it's all about digital. And obviously with this digital acceleration, fintech will well and truly be integrated not only within the financial services sector, but all other sectors of the economy. Banks and traditional institutions will have a few challenges and they'll need to undergo you know, deep thinking when it comes to one, cost rationalization, their cash flow, understanding their position vis-a-vis -vis this new world that they're operating in. And as there are more global developments happening, regulators are taking different approaches. And then obviously that means different implications and different regulations for the existing sector. The other thing that I think is important as digital accelerates is talent and can traditional financial institutions sustain that talent? Where do they fit in into this new world? And so once they understand their primary role in this new world, this really opens the door to FinTech to now start becoming part of the mainstream and driving the mainstream. And so, you know, we've got an unbundling of financial services. FinTech is now transforming from the startup phase to, you know, the scale up phase and becoming uh, an integral part of this ecosystem. And with that, from the region, we're going to see companies that are going from startups to scale ups to profitable. And so for me, this is going to be the most profound and exciting development over more than being constrained to one particular vertical. It's just the emergence of FinTech as this dominant force to help drive the uh, digital era forward. Thank you. Tony. I look forward, especially in the Middle East, I look forward to the emergence of instant payments or real-time payments that is uh, built on a unified payment interface so that anybody, uh, for that any payment, uh, uh, application can actually use that for instant payments, be it WhatsApp, be it PayPal, or be it any third, any application can use that, that interface for instant payments. The reason why I feel strongly about it is the speed, the instant. Your, your money is transferred or credited instantly. We do not have to wait for an end of day or, or the next day settlement. I think that's going to be long gone. Uh, I, th I think that that's that transformation has already happened in a number of countries. Uh, a very recent it has been Brazil, and uh, it has already happened in India and many other countries in the world. Uh, I, I look forward to the day it's coming in the Middle East, and I think it's it's there. Thank you, Tony. Finally, Phil. The most exciting development is open banking. That is just going to make such a paradigm shift for, uh, um, and definitely, fintech should not see this as a threat. 
This is an opportunity to actually partner with uh, banks and financial institutions um, to offer a whole range of new innovative services. Um, so, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely open banking for me. Um, the, the big thing in the, in, in, in the short term future anyway. Um, and I will give a bit of a plug for Carla here. I think Bahrain uh, has set uh, a great pace uh, in terms of uh, open banking for the region. I'd, I'd also like to comment on what I think is the biggest, uh, um, uh, probably the least exciting. Yes, oh please, yes. I think, I think what we all need to be aware of, all FinTech needs to be aware of, and again, this is a sleeping giant, uh, and there are a lot of inquiries around the world right now looking at big data. Uh, and we're seeing legislation being introduced in countries like Australia, forcing Google and play, Facebook and others uh, to actually pay revenues. But a large part of this research and reports, if you, if you actually read it, um, is about consumers and giving a great deal of rights to um, consumers over the data that's being held uh, by these institutions. So I don't think, I think fintechs need to look Everybody needs to look carefully at their business cases, particularly if you have a data monetization component yeah. in your yeah. business cases we do, uh, and you need to start querying, well, you know, um, is that really as good as it looks? Because this data monetization is coming to come under, under very close scrutiny. So that's yeah, probably yeah, the yeah. least exciting. <clears throat> Phil, Khalid, Tony, uh, thank you once again for your, your valued participation today. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners will have found your shared insights particularly interesting. That has been the, the Middle East Tech Summit 2021 Digital Evolution Accelerated podcast. Uh, it just remains for me to say thank you uh, and goodbye. Mm -hmm.